I'm Aaron Armstrong. I'm Pete Moran. And we love to watch. We love to watch says, ain't these engines mortal? Why the title is the title. Took a little bit of digging. <laughs> Get some it's research, Jay. Hey, do your own research. Do your we own did research. our research. We think we know why they're mortal. And not only do we think we know why they're mortal, we think we understand why they're dying at an unprecedented rate. And the doctors of the mortal engines are covering it up. But do your own research. Uh, I'm just going to say the craziest wackadoo shit you've ever heard. Then I implore you to become a scientist. <laughs> Open a lab. Go through the proper training and do all the, you know, double-blind experiments that you need to mm-hmm. uh, and report back. Yeah. Before you can argue with me, I'm just saying you need to do that stuff. Yeah. I'm a big believer in the um, London Lab Leak theory. Um, oh, yeah. Which is that um, the Medusa weapon was fired from the top of the tower in London and took down the, the eastern wall, um, allowing, uh, <clears throat> you know... Um, the prevalence of quantum weapons to be... Um, yeah. I don't know where I'm going with I, this. I think, it's, I think it's interesting that you think that Medusa was fired from the top of the tower. I, I've said for years mm-hmm. it was fired from the top of Building 7. <laughs> That's... <laughs> it's still on the mortal engine. I want to be clear. The Predator... What someone called a Predator City. Yeah. Um, Many. Would. Yeah. Easiest way to solve this, they didn't think about the movie, get Chris Hansen. <laughs> He's going to catch that Predator City. <laughs> and then Imagine. weirdly occasionally show up with mugshots for weird shit he's done. <laughs> people are like, oh, I don't know about that show. Imagine if a Predator City, let's say Ontario, <laughs> rolled up to <laughs> rolled up to the Great Wall of China yeah. with a six-pack of yeah. uh, Smirnoff ice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just, hey, hey, Predator City. <laughs> what are you doing here? Can you take a seat? <laughs> she said she was nine thousand horsepower. Yeah. <laughs> That's funny because uh, take a park. A, Become a stationary city. <laughs> it's funny that you say that because uh, we actually have the Carfax report right here. <laughs> Says Man. here, uh, most of her parts were uh, manufactured 14 years ago. <laughs> are, are you familiar with the ship, the, the ship of Theseus? Don't use the ship of Theseus. Defense. We, we, all we hear on To Catch a Predator City is the ship, ship of Theseus defense. I just want to say, we're sick of it. Doesn't work. It's not going to hold up in a court of law. Say that much. Uh, uh, yeah, where we love to watch, we're movie podcasts. We uh, we sometimes talk about movies around a theme uh, that we've chosen for the month. And if we remember, we <clears throat> compare and contrast. We're in our third week of Failure to Launch, uh, which is about failed, specifically science fiction, franchises. We've done Valerian, 
uh, in the city of a million planets, living in the stars. Mm-hmm. Great movie. I think we – great kickoff to the month. We're like, hey, I had seen it before. You hadn't. But my memory was like, this movie's great. Unfairly should have had been a franchise. And we agreed. We're like, this movie's great. And then we did Jupiter Ascending, which I had fond memories of and you had never seen. And we went, this is bad. Not it's so not good. so good. I don't uh, I don't feel good about making fun of it because I love the directors. They made some of my favorite stuff. But this is not their best work. Was our take. Uh, and then this, this clearing was... out the pipes to get ready for Matrix Resurrections, you know? <laughs> I think that's right. Uh, or Sense8, I guess. Or, or Sense8. Um, and, uh, but this was the one that I hadn't seen. You had This is the only one that I hadn't seen of the month. Because um, next next week we're doing uh, Battle Angel Alita, which you've, you have not seen. I've, I've seen and I really seen. like it. This is the one I was most anticipating covering for the month because it's so weird and nobody remember that it happened or no. the immense pedigree behind it. Um, yeah, it, that movie is Mortal Engines, which as I was watching it, so I really thought, and part of this, there's been an ongoing joke, but it's because we've been planning this month for over a year and a half. And for up until a couple weeks before the month, I thought when Peter was saying we're doing Mortal Engines that we were covering a movie called Mortal Instruments, mm-hmm. City of Bone. Uh, City I didn't of know there was a movie called Mortal Engines. I was aware of the instruments. Now, some would say you need instruments before you get engines. And from a timeline uh, movie release perspective, that is accurate. I I don't remember this. Like, I, I kind of remember seeing the poster at, like, an Alamo or something. But I at least, like, was like, okay, this movie must be, like, 2015, 2016. Uh, Mortal Instruments was 2013. And when I went to rent it, I was like, this is 20... Like, this came out from, like, basically four years ago. Like, from a pre-pandemic, like, just a couple years before the pandemic, like, two of my kids were alive when this movie came out. I have almost no memory. It was $100 million. It's listed as one of the worst financial disasters of all time just based on how much uh, it was cost like 200 million dollars and it made 87 million that's not including marketing so huge loss it's produced by peter jackson he bought the rights in 2009 i will say this he recorded the script yeah what i would say is that this movie does look great which originally was impressive to me for a 2013 film. Yeah. Less impressive, I guess, because it's a 2018 film. <laughs> uh, the movie looks really, really good. That is about where my praise starts. <laughs> and also where it ends. It is an incredibly boring, uninteresting movie. It's not very good, in my opinion. I have... The reason I wanted to, to cover this... I have, I am, this is one of those movies that I'm, like, in love with the concept. I would love for this to get adapted someday as, like, an HBO series, sort of like if we, we've discussed doing Golden Compass uh, on the show. Like, they then they have this HBO series that a lot of people seem to like. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I like the Golden Compass. I like the movie, too. Yeah. Um, I would love for that treatment to come for Mortal Engines. So, let's let's take a step back. If take all the steps back. Take, take all, all the steps. Put it, put it in reverse, as they say in the yeah, engine yeah. world. <laughs> let's, yeah, let's, let's reverse, uh, well, let's first, let's make sure our mirrors are aligned. Yeah. Check the rear Check camera, ten, but that's not enough. Two. You gotta put your hand back behind the, the passenger side seat, look both yeah. ways, multiple times, and then creep yeah. backwards. You gotta creep back. Yeah. Um, but Mortal just Engines. Like just, just like DLC said. 
<laughs> Mortal Engines. Watch out for waterfalls. 20 years, to, uh, almost 20 years to come to the screen. Um, the How did it take book, 20 years? I'm interested in this. Uh, the book almost, came out six, six, 16 years before. It came out <laughs> in 2001. 2001. Yeah. Uh, the book, he wrote the book years and years before. Inspired um, famously by 9 11. <laughs> Mr. Mr. 9-11 himself, um, Peter Jackson, got interested in the product in about 2009. <laughs> no, okay. so It took, it took him eight years to process 9-11, let's yeah. be clear. Peter Jackson tried buying the rights. New Zealander. Uh, uh, tried buying the rights much sooner than 2009. Um, 2009 was when he fully actually acquired the rights, but he didn't find the right time, the right space, the right budget, the funding no. for it for uh, nine years. Yeah. Well, you know. Seven years, but nine years to get to screen. Sure. Um, so uh, th- it's based on a trilogy of young adult uh, sci-fi books um, that have a kind of a cool concept. It's like Mad Max. Yeah, yeah, like, times- like baby's first Mad Max. <laughs> it's Mad Max times like a hundred, though, because it's not that like everybody is so reliant on gas to keep their car running. It's that everyone is reliant on gas to keep this fucking Cities. massive city running. Yeah. Um, and I absolutely love the concept. And the first 15 minutes, I was like, this is going to rule. And then it very much did not. <laughs> See, I got to say, I find the concept a little stupid. I love it. Like, I I think, like, Mad Max makes sense, right? Like, they are, they have these little cars, they use motorcycles, and they're trying to control the gas. I don't know. Like, they don't go into... The figures, but they basically have a chunk of London. They're just driving around the world, and like their big fight is with another group. What are they called? The transients? There's tractionists versus anti tractionists. The anti tractionists, which in this case means tired traction, uh, <laughs> not not how steady they are to the ground. The the their their fight is with the anti tractionists who believe, hey, why don't we? build like a fucking city like that just exists <laughs> and then like maybe near some natural resources i don't know like all of civilization is done yeah. Yeah. for hundreds of thousands of years and like i think like in the roving gang world where there's not enough people or resources in a mad max world some of that fight for like gas and bullets makes more sense but like if you're a person in the London Predator City, like, it, you just are living in a, like, it's a very bumpy life, I imagine, because you're, I mean, one of, one of the, the only line in here I thought was funny is, like, they go over a few bumps and they're, uh, what's, hold on, I have the line here because it's, it's very funny. The guy comes out of the London Museum and goes, the news is not good from the Hall of Ceramics, <laughs> which, is, which is a very funny <laughs> a line. Good joke, yeah. Um, the movie but, starts off with a sense of humor that disappears. It does. It disappears. <laughs> um, but, like, I think, like, if you're thinking of, like, high fantasy type ideas, like, I think it's fine. And they have, they have but but I, I still don't, like, Let me quite, pitch you on it. Let me pitch you on it. Well, hold on. But I, yeah. I just, I don't think, like, there, there was not a point where I went, oh, it totally makes sense that they retrofitted London with giant citywide tank treads and started driving around for resources like that feels stupid 
Like that, I mean... Uh, so, number one, you're wrong. Um, no, let, let me explain. Let me kind of pitch you on the concept of, of this world. So, number one... I mean, I saw the same movie. Did you read the, the source material? Why are you no, pitching me no, no. on the thing that I saw? I just did, like, a little bit of background on, like, what, why the guy wrote the book and such. Um, so, first off, like, I this is the sort of movie where if the starting concept is that cities need to keep moving and that they gobble up other cities and I see an entire mechanic mechanized roving tank that eats another giant mechanized roving tank warhammer 40k style yeah i think that's inherently rad now when you sure but it when you get into the logic behind it there are there are like are there's like rational reasons or whatever whatever for that but the point is that like when a movie starts off in the first five minutes it's just trying to show you something crazy happening i accept that the humanity for for whatever reason humanity has decided that this is the this is the move this is how we keep ourselves safe this is the new status quo um well a faction of humanity in in, in, almost everybody except for uh a segment of china the anti-tractionist or a section of asia i guess it's sort of a pan-asian not necessarily just chinese it reminds me of Waterworld a lot um, in that, you know, in Waterworld, there was these giant barges that existed that would go and r- roam the ocean that covered the earth uh, and, you know, take on other of these smallers and incorporate that and, and stuff like that into into their system, which, again, I, I think made more sense because it's water. Like this remind this. There's there's a pitch to be said of like what if we do Waterworld? What if we do a giant version of a Master Commander or pirate movie? But we do it on land in the future, and I I think that is the pitch in this movie. I just like again, I'm not saying that the con- I can't overcome the concept or I can't have a suspension of delete disbelief, but it is a, almost too silly. I I don't think it's too silly, and I also think that this is the sort of movie where, um. The bargaining, we talk about this all the time on the show, where, like, movies will ask you to make a, um, a concession to buy into the, this, you let your imagination buy into this, um, pay this, this toll, and you'll access the rest of the movie, right? And the mm-hmm. buy-in is that these are these massive cities that eat each other. The real, the real answer to this is not, like, why are they moving around? Because there's, like, plot reasons for why, like, because of this, like, quantum 60... There's a 60-minute war, just like Mad Max, like, a massive war that, like, completely... A, th- a thousand years ago that shifted the Earth's tectonic plates. Yeah. And it fucked up the Earth so much because they were using these, like, quantum weapons yeah. that had, like, black holes and shit, right? Like, And they crazy, basically, yeah, they basically, like, Dr. Strange... Stuff. Yeah, and they Doctor Strange loved it. Like it's sixty minute war because there was this program called Medusa that controlled like a Doctor Strange love like device across the entire planet, and they set it off at once, which fucked like the the whole makeup of the planet shifted. Like so, they have new maps that kind of show how there's like a new land bridge across the Pacific Ocean. Again, I I do wonder, and but they're. What's what's funny is they're they're traveling the the length of the world and they're constantly running into more people. So people must be fine. I think the world is is big enough and has gelled together enough that like um, there's little pockets that form into bigger tanks, and then yeah. some of those tanks are big enough to eat, and some of those tanks are not big enough to eat and get eaten. But whatever. The whole point for me is that like whether or not you take this as like a literal concept is like kind of like eh, you know whatever. 
the point is that it's an allegory for like man's consumption of the earth. So like sure. the entire thing is is an allegory for how capitalism is this force of consumption. And that like these engines, particularly these massive engines, act as like first world nations consuming smaller nations and all of their resources. <clears throat> bringing them in and saying, no, don't worry, come in here, you'll have jobs. And then when they get there, they all are third, fourth, sec- fifth class citizens. Yeah. Um, so it's all sort of an allegory for predatory capitalism. It's an allegory for um, our destruction of the planet. Um, it's uh, it, it's not like supposed to be like literally believable. Um, but the idea is is that, like, they had to start moving because these quantum weapons had so thoroughly fucked up the Earth that the idea of staying in place was just not feasible anymore. Like, the, the like moving around was the safer bet. What? Why? Because there's, like, Medusa weapons and shit around. Like, there's... It... But, but, so, I mean, I'm, I'm not trying to, like, be argumentative, but I don't think, like, I... I, I could infer, like, okay, well, maybe there was, like, a quest for resources, which is a pretty, you know, it's it's why a lot of the Earth ended up getting settled is because they, you know, go explore more and find more resources. And obviously in the world of the Medusa quantum bombs that there may be, like, they may be, uh, they're, they're clearly looking for, like, metal and machine parts and other things like that. I didn't get a clear world sense of, like, them saying hey, the Earth is constantly, like, unstable or there's black holes that form, and so we need to be able to have a city that could could upend and move. Like, I don't, like, again, maybe there is a in-book explanation for that, but but I really don't remember them articulating why. Yeah. Like, and I didn't read the book. Why, why civilization decided that, like, we do need to be on the move besides just a... I, we need to drive around and find resources. And, and which... I think it's, it's it's the sort of allegorical quality allows for it to be like uh, people gathered together in these city states, this like loose sense of nationalism. Um, they were a roving pack in some sort of mechanical sense. They started building up, you know, um, more structures. Eventually those structures start kept moving. So mankind became nomadic as opposed to placed again. Like, yeah, I'm sure in the book there's like a whole argument behind it. But the point is that it's not really supposed to be literal. So like arguing about like, well, this is not this is not Arthur C. Clarke version of what the future would happen if you know we we had these crazy future weapons. Like this is not the most believable, yeah, I mean, ver- or most plausible apocalyptic scenario. That's not the goal because I don't think Mad Max is particularly plausible either. Um, no, but and I don't need, that, I don't like, I don't need my apocalyptic sci-fi. For, it's sort of an allegorical thing for the nature of man, right? That like people end up I mean, joining into these end up joining into these like consumption city states where like they um there's a class system there's uh you have a sense of place you can get excited when your nation overcomes another nation and consumes them like you are you are getting better resources and you are getting all your your cool baubles and your amazon prime shit because you are consuming another city and it's all at the expense of other people and of the earth itself it's all like an allegorical thing for like the consumption consumptuous nature of capitalism it's a shark that has to keep moving otherwise otherwise it has to be keep moving it has to keep growing otherwise it dies so respectfully, I think you're reading that into the movie. No, that's I, that's like literally like a, the point of the book. <laughs> fine, it might be the point of the book, but it's, and it's not. Like it's, once you understand that, I think the point of the movie allows you to read it more allegorically. 
Sure, I guess my problem though is that like you can think it's you, stupid. I'm saying that the intention. Well, of it I, is, I, like, I don't like arguing about whether or not stupid's it's the wrong word. Like, like whether or not it's plausible is like not well. All I don't that interesting to me because it's supposed to be like an allegorical thing. I don't care about the plausibility. I guess my problem is, and, and we I'll say this, then we can move on, so we're not saying the same thing over and over. But I like I. I would have liked if they offered an explanation in the movie, and then I could have said. Okay, whatever. That's their in-world explanation. I feel like they don't make an attempt to explain why there's Predator Cities at all. How, like, they don't do the world building required to explain uh, why somehow because of this war and the way that the bombs fell that most societies put fucking, you know, tank treads on their cities and started moving everything around as opposed to having a city that they go out and, and, you know, have cars and stuff to find resources. And again, I don't need a great explanation. I don't even need a, like, uh, I could have, it could be part of an allegory for something. I don't think the movie provides one and that bothers me. It does provide an allegory that they're just consuming until the earth dies. Like that's. But like what's, but what's, when, what is the, like from a world, like you care about world building too. It's not the end. I'm not saying the movie is, does But what is the, what is the in world, what is the in movie explanation for why Predator Cities exist? What is the in-world explanation for why Mad Max cars would need to keep driving around and why people wouldn't stay put and form little siege communities? Like, but, but like that, they are taking existing tech. I don't think you need to take the leap from that because it's existing technology and, and stuff is wiped out and the stuff that's valuable is stuff like bullets and gas. Sure. Like, I don't think you need a big explanation for houses. That's how that's society today. To some extent, there's cars, there's gas. Gas would run out if civilization died. Having the ability to move around quickly is a form of... I mean, that's that doesn't feel like a big logical leap that needs to be explained while you're world building. I just would have liked some explanation in the in the world, in the movie, as to how they decided to, to put tank treads on their cities and drive around. Yeah, I, I think that the primary issue... I, I think the primary issue with the movie, for me as someone, who, like, the first 15 minutes, I was like, fuck yeah. Like, I did too. Concept. I... Like, we gave this the same star rating. Cool. There are things about this I like. Yeah. yeah. But again, I think if you're going one of the so one of the Valerian's a great example of this, right? They explain how the world got a city of a thousand planets and a giant mm-hmm. station in the first five minutes. They ex, like they don't go into a ton of detail. They they leave things, but it's like, hey, we need to explain why there's this. Its own planet that roves around as opposed to just, yeah, in this universe, there's a planet of a space station that goes around with different civilizations. Or, and then everyone acts like this is a big thing. Like, they give the five-minute explanation. Jupiter ascending, stupid explanation or not, at least has a, like, this is what planets are. This is who controls the power. This is why they're mining it. Like, it has that. This movie does not have the, hey... They have the here's how civilization died explanation, which I think is good, you know, creepy enough. Where they're like, it's essentially like nuclear war plus, like, yeah, like, which is, which is fine. Like, it's like, I don't care about the, the, all the shit mashed together. It's like nuclear war plus pollution plus global warming plus, you know. And to be clear, I don't care about the plot. I do not care about the plausibility of whether. Uh, you could have quantum bombs that create black holes that move the tectonic plates around, and but Earth as a whole, I like legitimately yeah. don't care. That's don't, a cool yeah. explanation for why the world looks different and why everything's apocalyptic. Like that's world. That's a basic world building. They don't go into a ton of detail. It just here's the thing. 
the part that they leave out that I feel is important <laughs> is why there's predator cities. Yeah, I do so I mean that it's just it's just weird. It's a weird it's thing to leave out that they have an opening narration that very much mimics Mad Max Road Warrior. And, that and that and that Fury opening Road narration. Road. Fucking, the, the Universal logo is on the screen. I've never seen this, like, the production, the, and someone's like, okay, we got a lot to get through. I'm yeah. starting right now. Yes. And and I like that they have a guy with a grizzled voice, just like they the do. Mad Max movies, like Fury Road, who's like, and then the rise of the Predator Cities. Yeah. And I'm like, hell yeah, you're going to explain yeah. the concept of Predator Cities. And then yeah. I kind of, like, at that point, I was just like... There's a reason for this. Like, th- this is just a cultural thing that got passed down from, you know, generation to generation. Like, it, it started off a small car, kept getting a bigger car. It but it's not because they just, but they put treads on parts of London and drove it around, which seems yeah. like some decision that someone made that would be interesting for yeah. someone to explain. I, and, and yeah, that's the sort of thing where, like, that's the sort of thing where it's like, um, I, while watching the movie, I was, like, willing to take that bite because it was so early in the movie. Like, yeah. Because that's the thing for me. It's like, if in the first Someone act, circle you, around and explain, though. You, you expect I'll me, sentence. You expect me to accept something ridiculous in the first act, I do it. If you expect me to continue to accept ridiculous things as the movie goes on, I'm going to need a little bit of a zhuzhing. Um, yeah. It the, doesn't even have to be my, good. Like, oh, there was earthquakes. There was earthquakes everywhere, and they were, you know, Richter scale ten. And so we had to, we had a way to prepare, and we put wheels on our yeah. cities so that we could escape the earthquakes before they happened. Great, done. Now I know where the predator cities and how this this society evolved. But I just, I need that one little sentence. I need something. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 I not the, I not it. the. There was an apocalypse. I get it. And, it's then, the pre- and then the Predator Cities came. <laughs> Why? It's a huge leap. You yada yada over a big part of this. I feel like. I get it. I get it. But I'm willing okay. to, if you show me some Warhammer 40k shit in the first five minutes of a movie, I'm going to be like, all right. Peter, I, I liked <laughs> I cities, all of that. Cities now. The opening part, the opening scene of this movie is by far the best scene, the best the best 15 minutes is the opening 15 minutes before they get thrown off of London because it's all action. It's these big world things and, like, it's before it has droned on to the point that, like, I don't, I didn't care about enough that the spectacle didn't matter. And I have, I have a point to make. So um, one of the nice things about my pitch earlier was that they should make a TV show of this. Sure. Um, and while I'm saying all this, keep in mind, I haven't read the book and what's in the book doesn't matter because it's the movie, right? Um, in the Expanse TV show, let's say, um, there's a lot of episodes that give you time in the Belter communities so that you get a sense of like what they're pissed about, what their day-to-day life is like, what the level of corruption is, why the earthers have shit on them so much. Like that's a whole, Mm -hmm. it's a whole thing that you wouldn't be able to do in an Expanse movie because you get five minutes with the, with the Belters and you'd be like... I don't know. There's some weird, there's like a space Che Guevara. Who cares? But <laughs> yeah. when you're watching the show, you genuinely get conflict because it's, it's, it's doing like a space game of Thrones thing. You're genuinely feeling conflicted about, um, like these people have a legitimate plight and these people are innocent victims, but what they represent is actually not innocent. It's very horrifying and evil. And like, there's all that going on with this sort of story adapting it to a big, a big action movie. I don't think it's necessarily not capable of being adapted to a big action no. movie, right? I, I, I don't think that. My point is this. 
when you're making a movie that's about big ass cities eating big ass cities, I expect the movie to have that happen more than once. <laughs> what? It happens in the opening, and then they get thrown off of London. You yeah. spend very, very little time with the with the the London population, and then later when they show you a flashback of uh, Hugo Weaving's daughter and whoever the the hunky mechanic guy is, you're like, yeah. wait, who are these people? <laughs> like you've I forgotten know. about the London people entirely because you've been off in the wastelands. And well, and the final and, battle like, is between an. The two big final set pieces are not between Predator City versus Predator City. It is between first Sky City. Yeah. Air versus land. Classic Axis and Allies <laughs> situation they have going on. Um, and then and then it's about the great against the Great Wall of China or a mini version of the Great Wall. So like it's the, the even that that concept of predator cities clashing to predator cities and even the first predator city like it's like a shark the whole point is that it's a shark attacking like a guppy city yeah it's a tiny little like you know it's like fucking minneapolis taking down bemidji like it's yeah not, it's, <laughs> there's not a lot of stakes like i would have liked to see the scene regardless of how these fucking predator cities happen or not of like you know the master of the two big ships you know pirates of the caribbean like the good guy ship and the pirate ship come clashing together and the boarding and the full, like, yeah. with Predator Cities. And instead, it's just this, like, what if a giant car attacks a <laughs> giant hot air balloon? And what if a giant car attacks a giant wall? It's like, okay, well, you moved very far beyond the and, concept of Predator City versus Predator City. And, and I, I, I still don't know why there's Predator Cities. I, I, I think that you could make also the fact that there's, it's it's an outclass sort of situation in the beginning. You can obviously make that cool and yeah. scary and fun. Like you're saying, like, are do they have boarding parties? Do they have, like, do you yeah. have some sort of stakes in the smaller city? Like, d- did we spend enough time in the smaller city where we're like, we're like, whoa. Wait, hold on. Are they going to be able to get away? Are they are they quick and nimble, or are they just yeah. going to get gobbled up because they don't have the power of this like this like <laughs> imperator ship? But the yeah. point is, the point is this: the entire concept of the movie is a little goofy, as we were talking about. It's a little silly. Whether or not you think that's badass silly, like I've talked about, like Warhammer and Mad Max and stuff, like these visions of the future that are like fairly fairly ridiculous. But when you think about them, you're like, that's fucking badass. Like, there's a there's yeah. a <laughs> there's a Mack truck uh, leading a war party of of dune buggies through the desert, or like, uh, you know, like these concepts are very cool when you associate when you actually like take the time to make the concept sing. And this movie doesn't actually take enough time to make the concept sing. It immediately throws yourself throws you into this um, conspiracy apocalyptic sort of. Um, a plot about a guy wanting to get a super weapon and in that context you're like what does it matter it seems like they nobody can stop them like what what does it matter if he gets a big gun <laughs> everyone but what's funny is that in the movie people are like wait why do you need that and he's like for power it's like but <laughs> why why do you need that like and what what is that what is that gonna help don't you remember what just happened like why we're in a goddamn car city like why do you need that to rule the world. It's like, oh, like, everyone else, besides that one, like, weird, like, scientist mom that he has, everyone is like, this is stupid. And what I are think, you doing? And I think it's one of those things, right, where, like, if we, if that was in the, the plot of the sequel, right, like, 
Um, the first movie is just about wars between these cities, and you really make the wars like brutal, and they're clashing, and they're about they're about culture wars between two cities that hate each other. It's like Manchester yeah. versus uh, Oxford or United. Some shit. <laughs> Manchester versus <laughs> versus Arsenal. Yeah. Um, so like, if these two cities just fucking hate each other, right? And like, you yeah. set up this whole war, and you spend the first movie really making this concept sing. You know what? Hey, that's it. Hold on, though. I doubt the NFL would sponsor that, but that's a great idea of, like, fucking Green Bay went against Minneapolis. And they, <laughs> like, it's a thousand years later, but they're, like, drenched in green and they're drenched in, like, purple because they're, like, they're rival cities. And, and your people have been convinced yeah. that they were the actual Vikings? Like, we can all trace our lineage back. Yeah. <laughs> We're Packers. <laughs> yeah. We're packing it in. Yeah, and they've got, like, the Brewer yeah, Cub, Coalition. Cubs Cardinals or some five. shit. Like, I mean, yeah, I, that'd be silly, but I love that idea of, like, uh, yeah. But, like, two two city rivals that have literally evolved to, like, cities rivaling and yeah. attacking each other. Yeah, yeah. like, make the love first it. movie about that concept. And while you're doing it, do your world building, all that I do, I do not like when they're establishing these big franchises and they immediately make the stakes like everybody on the planet is going to fucking die. Like, I don't yeah. like that. I, wa no. I want, like, especially in this post-apocalyptic world where I've already kind of accepted that, like, the world has already died. You being like, well, all right, in this far-flung weird steampunk version of the future, what if everybody died again? Like, I don't care. I don't care. Yeah, you can't have apocalyptic stakes after your apocalypse. <laughs> I, I, it needs to be... You need to well, if all these people die that I don't care about, it seems like you'll rebuild. Yeah. Because it, it already happened once. Like, and I I'll meet new characters a thousand yeah. years from now? Yeah. Like, unclear that, motivations? Because daddy if you issues? Th like, if you think about it in The Matrix. Yeah. They don't make Zion under threat until the third movie, really. Yeah. Um, there's little moments where, like, they're trying to keep where Zion's location secret and all of that and reloaded, but, like, it's not well, so the third that movie is the, that That's the best part of the second movie, though, right? Where they basically say, yeah, we, like, we know where Zion is. We, we let it do this for a while. Yeah. Like, it's a program out. that we reboot every once in a while. Like, so it, it takes the stakes of the first movie where it's like, we need to protect the last refuge, and it says... Oh yeah, there's no last refuge. We we've been through this for thousands of years, guys. Like, exactly. That's that's I mean, that's a great way to make different stakes where now you're actually not worried about the last hope of humanity. You're worried if like this time will be different or if the characters that you've come to love will make it out of this iteration. Yeah. Uh, but it it pivots the stakes. Yeah, I and I like that say what you will about like a Hunger Games, and I, I've never read the books, but I like the first I think I think I like two of the movies. I, I read um, the books. I can maybe help. I don't know. But uh, I, I've seen all the movies. I just I, The first one was okay. I remember Catching Fire being pretty good. Uh, and I think they split up the last one into two. They did the, Catching the Fire classic. is the best best of the movies. Um, absolutely. Because yeah. um, they actually had... The director actually added some teeth. In the first yeah. movie, they're constantly shying away from violence in a way that's yeah. like... What are you doing? This is a but that's Royale a, movie. That's a good example of like this is not about like another famine, another like like the the world is sucks now. Yeah, and like it's more about one character being good. But you're right, like you can't have like going right back to hey, you know the apocalyptic weapon that destroyed everything. It's back. <laughs> it sucks. You have you, to make us a care new about guy has it. <laughs> this is this is in its own way. Oh, just no. as precarious as them being like, yeah, exactly. Like, 
Like, okay, it'd be like if there was there was one one Arnold Schwarzenegger movie, and his his uh, his character's name is Brain Puncher, and he walks around, and no matter what happens, he just punches dudes' brains right out of their fucking yeah. skull, and then he has he has brain punched his way all across the USA. There is no one left in Kansas, like that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and then they're like, "Oh my god." He's gonna he's gonna break into Fort Bragg and get a machine gun. Like, <laughs> who cares? Brain punchers already punched all the brains. Or it's like he uh, gets electrocuted and gets superpowers to punch brains harder. It's like, oh, okay. <laughs> It'll be quicker now. Yeah, he's been punching brains the whole movie, man. And I just like, remember being so frustrated when the movie was like, "All right, brain puncher, don't worry. Brain puncher now has a nuclear cannon called the Medusa for some reason." And you're like. I want to see Brain Puncher punch some brains before you start taking him into the gun territory. Also, not to get into the, like, I don't understand the world building, but the whole thing with Medusa, it was a Doctor Strange Love Doomsday device. You yeah. flick the switch and all the bombs go off. He's using it like a laser at the end of the movie. Like, what? Like, it it doesn't... Also, like, no, it doesn't. why would anybody fight him on that, Right. Like, why is there even a conspiracy? Wouldn't someone, like, wouldn't someone, like, that's the thing. Okay, so, like, obviously in the book, there is a, um, there's a, uh, like, in the book, I'm sure they get into the details of the conspiracy and make this actually sing, right? Yeah. Um, they don't in the movie. The point is that when you're watching the movie, you're like, all right, so there's a conspiracy. And we're making that assumption on. because the book is very well reviewed and liked. Yes, exactly. So we're assuming the book this is a poor and obviously fans like Peter Jackson loved it, yeah. wanted to make a movie. So and loved it for decades. <laughs> for decades. So we are making the assumption that the book has to be better than yeah. this. Yeah. And uh, but my point is that books can do sort of like the expands. Uh, books can actually take their time and spend time with the subcultures and the motivations behind characters and such. Movies have to kind of streamline. It's got to be about the motivations of a small handful of people, whether or not the stakes are as big as the world or as small as those five people's like lives. Like the focus on like a handful of people, right? In this movie, there are so many fucking characters, and it feels and they're trying to set up a, this massive franchise apparently. Like, but. Um, they waste, they waste an exorbitant amount of, um, goodwill after the opening act by being like, hey, so remember how, uh, there was all these, these strange subcultures and stuff that we were hinting at in London. We are actually never going to spend time with those people again. Nope. Nothing. Uh, next time you see them, we're going to be shooting at them. <laughs> yeah. There's a daughter. She's going to have no bearing on the plot. She doesn't convince her dad of anything. She doesn't change anything. She is at one point going to scold her dad. No bearing on him controlling the weapon. What? Whatsoever. What? And like he doesn't like she, not blow up something because she's on it. Like there's not she's not Yeah, normally when you ha normally when you have hey, leader of or partial leader of the city, the general of the city, whatever his role is, I'm not quite sure. Um he uh he's the head of the engineers, I believe. Yeah. And then has a daughter, and the daughter finds out that her dad is evil. That has a bearing in some capacity on something that happens in the movie. Yeah. As opposed to just us going, oh, it's nice that she's not bad. Because when she finally does confront her dad, her dad's like, yeah, I'm evil. Yeah. No stopping. Any yes. 
Yeah, doesn't have to make a choice, doesn't make a, a sacrifice. Like, he doesn't have to kill her and go, now I've lost the last vestige of my <laughs> humanity and I'm ready to use my Medusa laser on the wall. Like, he's just like, <laughs> his daughter's like, don't be evil, dad. I don't want you to be evil. He's like, no, nah, I'm evil. <laughs> Too bad. So sad. And On with our also, lives. <laughs> there's an interesting thing that when the movie starts, Hugo Weaving is doing his full like, like, hey, he's, like I know use... there's some, I know they get compared a lot, but he's in full like Sam Neill chewing scenery mode. In this y- yeah, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. But he's but at the beginning of the movie, he's in he's in like a mode where he's like, um, I'm like, don't harm those people coming in. You're all going to be given jobs, and then you. You find out pretty quickly that they're all going to be given, like, underclass jobs and all their homes are going to be shredded and all their belongings are going to be shredded. But the point is, then the movie treats it like a like a, um, like a a twist that Hugo Weaving is evil. And you're like, it's Hugo Weaving. It happens like, immediately. It that, would be like lady's... a coin flip if the coin had five sides that were evil and one side that wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> and, and then, like, I mean, it's over really quickly because he pushes the girls like, you killed my mom. Okay, get out. And then yeah. his, do- his daughter friend is like hey kind of weird that you do that he's like oh you do then yeah <laughs> right out you go <laughs> like yeah yeah because he i mean yeah. i will say this we'll, we'll get into this in the plot the thing that hugo weaving i think intrinsically gets it is easy to have second families when you are operating a predator city <laughs> like it is like Say what you will about now. Now I yeah. am amazed that you still you still have people that end up having second families. No. Between people like saying, "Hey, I'll you know get sit," I want to make sure you get to your place. Okay, put the location in my phone. I imagine the end of most second families happened during the initial COVID lockdown. I uh, think that's uh, yeah. why. Fair. I think that's why a contingent of people were so angry about those lockdowns because like. Can you imagine being like, uh, yeah, I got to travel for work. No, you don't. Your entire company is remote and the airports are shut down. No, I gotta, like, I have to travel for work. I, this doesn't seem feasible. Okay, I'm going to be on Skype for quite, like, can you imagine, like, I'm sure there's, like, people hung, like, fake backgrounds for a while and, like, <laughs> I'm, work sent me to Wuhan and I'm stuck <laughs> here. They're not letting me leave. Like you're in a basement in Missouri lying to your family in fucking Kansas. Like I'm, I'm stuck here. I like you, don't you work for tires plus? I know we were trying to open up a new lane of tire business yeah, and I got stuck in another country. Kids look at all, look at, look at out my window. <laughs> it's, instead he was on the, the tire floor of the mortal engine. Yeah. In this world, Hugo Weaving's like, I can have as many families as I want as long as I plot my course across the world in my Predator City yeah. and just stop by every once in a while. As long as I make horrible decisions about how to <laughs> plot my, my mortal engine, I'm great. Yeah. Um, I want to say... Yeah, th- well, that's well, what the mortal engine is. Yes. <laughs> Hugo Weaving's desire to at least have two families. Oh, Christ. I mean, if someone has two families, they definitely have three. Uh, if you if you confidently have two, if you're shakily yeah. handling two, you probably just got two. If you're confidently handling two, eventually you're gonna be like, "What about three? I could do a three. Like, what are they gonna do? Call me? <laughs> they have like I just I come around like a fucking sailor. Yeah, on the earth, I can have as many family as long as I. You he's know, not confined to the mortal engine at all. He's not confined. No, I, he's, he's got a cool airplane. Yeah, he's got a whole airplane. Yeah. This okay, so, so 
I think comparing movies to food is kind of an over an overused analogy, and it's kind of um, boring. But sure. the whole time, but the, the analogy that I've had for this month for movies that don't quite work, but are like full of ideas, right? Um, and this one, most of all for me, this is the one that like, si- si- like in terms of like concepts, like I'm, d- I'm probably going to read this book at some point, like, cause I just want to like, I want to see this concept done well. Um, like con- conceptually, this movie I think is so fucking cool, but, uh, to make a mo- a, a food analogy, you know how, have you ever seen like, uh, you're at like a uh, restaurant and the busboy is taking away plates and you get like a quick, good glance of what's on the plate and you're like. Like, I bet you that was a good sandwich. I bet you that yeah. steak before it got cold and mashed in with all, like, the napkin and, and the, yeah. the water glass that someone poured on the steak to make it sloppy. Um, I bet you before... I mean, it's New Year's at Trifano's? <laughs> you gotta slop it up, Peter. You gotta slop it up. But before all of that happened, before the slopping happened, before someone ate that, that you know, sandwich and there's just a little bit of crust and a little bit of the sandwich left... I was like, I bet that was a great sandwich. And that's how I feel about this movie, where I'm like, at, at, at about the halfway point in this movie, sorry, not the halfway point, earlier than that, they introduce Stephen Lang's character, who is a um, zombie Terminator who lives forever, named Shrike. Is it? The daddy zombie Terminator. Daddy zombie Terminator. And he, he mostly is just supposed to roam the wastelands, but for some reason he is in ocean jail. And he and at that point and at that point in the movie I was still I had some goodwill left over and I was like, I love that they have all these cool ideas. I thought this was just gonna be airships and tanks. I thought that yeah. I didn't know that they also have They know like, they got Terminator. They have they what, have, every apocalypse you get at least one Terminator free? Yeah. It it, it you know what it reminds me of? is Dark Tower. The Terminator. Well, yeah. But it reminds me of Dark Tower, where Dark Tower is like, you stumble upon something and you're like, oh, yeah, I guess there's like a whole, there's like a whole town that's doing this weird cowboy thing. Yeah. I thought this was like the post-apocalypse. And then you keep going and you're like, I guess there's a town that's being harassed by like robot wolves. Yeah. Oh, yeah, there's a whole town that loves ZZ Top, but instrumentals only, please. They just know the choir versions. <laughs> but you know what I'm saying? Like that Dark yeah. Tower thing where you're like, at the end of the world, all culture has been mashed into one. Yeah. And there's so much far-flung old technology that's still sort of cropped up that like some of this still exists. Um, yeah. I I love I can see how a brain that's dying could make that connection. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I I loved that at the at, at the this point in the movie, but like that's the unfortunate thing about Shrike, the unfortunate thing about Predator Cities, the unfortunate thing about their Cloud City. Um, it it is ultimately like at the last little corner of what, what once was a great sandwich. Right? I mean, if I, wanna, I, I, if I told you, before, but not now. <laughs> let me say this, then we're gonna get to the plot. But if I told you that the Terminator zombie ends up being like. It's okay if I die as long as you go to your boyfriend. <laughs> You'd be like, what? <laughs> but that, that is what happens. Which we're going to get to, Peter. I know he dies like, well, hey, if it's like, if it's a, like, if you're saying this is a minor crush, we're going to be really pissed. This better be at least a like-like situation. If love would be great, because I am sacrificing my life for you to have a boyfriend. But, like, we at least need to be in like-like territory. I... 
I love from your. We'll get. I need you to be in love with Pete Wentz. (laughs) (laughs) Pete Wentz looking motherfucker. (laughs) Aaron, I have quite a revelation for you. What? So, um, did you happen to look up? uh, I know you didn't. Did you happen to look up the actor uh, Robert Sheehan, uh, who plays uh, whoever Tom Bombadil, Tom something? Uh, the main the the main guy the the librarian motherfucker. Sure, no, I didn't. Um, do you know what other movie he's in? <laughs> Fallout Boy the movie. What? Mortal Instruments: <laughs> City of Bones. <laughs> this guy had one, one. He went like he had a strike zone. It was a small strike zone, but like if you got a YA movie that starts with the word mortal, I am your romantic lead. <laughs> He had he had he had uh, a big interest in Mortal Kombat adaptations and an agent yeah. that needed to get their eyesight checked. Yeah, <laughs> the only explanation. No one in this movie besides like uh, Stephen Lang and uh, Hugo Weaving are in anything else ever. No, as as and, and, but they all kind of remind you of other T movie stars. Like, how much does uh, the lead of this movie remind you of uh, the lead from uh, Evil Dead and Suburban? Why am I forgetting? Anything? Jane Levy. We're big stands. Yeah, Jane Levy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, she she does feel. I, I I saw someone compare Jane Levy to um, Margot Robbie and say like Jane Levy is sort of like a a cheap a B movie Margot Robbie and I was like that's not fair. It's really shitty. However, this girl is the B movie <laughs> Jane, Jane Levy. Levy. I'm sorry. Yeah, but let's. I mean, it, they just it looked too similar. I thought it was Jane Levy for. For, I mean, she was in Monster Trucks. She's not above Mortal yeah. Engines as much as I love uh, Jane Levy. But yeah, let's do it. Peter, we're already 50 minutes into this. Let's talk about the Predator City singular <laughs> and no other ends of a couple Predator towns. Yeah, or, or just like car towns. Let's talk about London. <laughs> All right. Let's talk about the Mortal Engines. You vroom like you're, you vroom like you're, you from, like London. you're from London. <laughs> I think about that quote at least once a week. All right. Yeah. engines all revved up that you could tell us about i.e what happens in the movie did i tell you the funniest thing about this title it's it's a it's a shakespeare reference Uh, yeah okay (laughs) everything is peter he invented half of the words we say (laughs) it's it's so funny peter's probably a made-up shakespeare name yeah yeah um between it was a uh, Aaron's from the Bible. It was the his meter guy and uh a guy named um but it's a Shakespeare reference to a line a line in Shakespeare which feels appropriate for like a sci-fi novel um but a dumb movie that Peter Jackson co-wrote <laughs> that nobody liked a few years ago it feels particularly silly. Um what happens to these mortal engines? Uh, yeah, so we open up. Uh, there's a small uh, city traveling along the wasteland. 
um, being pursued by a Predator City. Um, Predator Cities, we discussed previously, are massive cities on wheels, um, and they ingest cities by opening these massive doors. The city comes in. Anybody that's inside that city that fights back gets killed or whatever, but, like, you, all of your resources get divided up and sorted among the rich people generally, and then you get, like, a job on the, the, uh, London. You are now a London resident. Um, I think one of the most horrifying implications of this movie is that you could be in, like, let's say Minnesota, mm-hmm. and London comes along, and then you get ingested, and then you have to be English. I th- That is terrifying. terrifying. I also think it's terrifying that, like, a toaster in shitty condition is considered museum quality. <laughs> so we get we get a little view. But I can I can spend a little bit of time here because we do get a little bit of a view of what life is like on uh, jolly old London. Um, it's like bumpy normal London. <laughs> so apparently, the only part, the only remaining part of London from the original London is the cathedral on top. Um, everything well, else is new, newly built for yeah. the mortal engine. Um, which makes more sense, I think. Oh, so inside we see that there's a museum. Our main character Tom works there. He's also got like you know, there's there's some some hijinks going on. This movie has a few funny jokes at the beginning. One of which is that yes, Aaron Aaron was talking about where they're like <laughs> the, cer- the ceramics exhibit is a mess. Like uh, it's very it's very funny, yeah. uh, especially after like a thousand years, they still haven't figured out how to keep clay pots in place. Um, and yeah, then, well, I also think like, you know, the thing about like long travel in a plane is that with the ex- exception of turbulence, it's really smooth, right? Yeah. Like you can read it and stuff like that. Like, ca- like even on a boat, it has a like cadence to the way it kind of rocks a big up and boat down. especially like cruise ships. Uh, yeah. Yeah, and, but you like a speed, still... and then you're on your constant speed, and then they smooth out, and people tend to stop being seasick once it yeah. is at, at at speed. I just imagine like, like, can you imagine sitting down to read on the Predator City that just constantly has the low level bumps because like you never really get they, and it's not like they portray like we figured out a way to make this big enough and the shocks absorbent enough that it is a smooth ride. They not at all. Things are bumping around and falling off, and like when they speed up or they go over rocky terrain, I imagine it is a nightmare living in those cities day to day. Do you think motion sickness is something that like like uh you could sort out via like selection that like people on the uh, like if somebody I mean, you that, like, have to. If somebody is just like wants to puke every single day, like eventually they just jump off the London. <laughs> you think that this? You think Predator Cities had natural motion sickness eugenics that occurred? Until they I, I would be but, one of those people. If so, I felt- the thing is, I I don't get motion sickness, but I do imagine that if I like, but I also don't try to read a goddamn book in a bumpy car that's like yeah. really bumpy because like you don't you fate. are you can't well you can't do it like if you can't concentrate on the words like. I don't think anyone's brain is a steel trap enough that you could read a book for three hours on a in a fucking bumpy road and be like, I'm fine. I'm totally I'm totally fine with this. That I mean that's guy, like, like that is there a picture of a guy like on a boat in World War II, like reading and, th- and he's about to go into fucking Normandy? I mean I mean yeah, I mean, sure. He's probably a Bible. He's probably just saying oh, stuff yeah. Knows. I mean, you think he's, you think he's like, hold on, before I attack Normandy, let me finish this All Quiet on the Western Front <laughs> book. 
Can so I? I gotta kind of, I gotta kind of sense of what's gonna gonna go on here. <laughs> I like to think better. It's like a, uh, it's like a Dashiell Hammett book, and he's like, I gotta know the ending. It's the art of war. <laughs> he gets to heaven. It says that I should use their howitzers against them. <laughs> he's shaking people. He's like, he's like, what happens to the character? What yeah. happens to him? Um, yeah. But what happens to the detective? Um, but uh, I, uh, I have a. a dark boring quick anecdote jesus um so uh <laughs> everything you said about that's appealing yeah <laughs> so i uh we used to uh go to estate sales and we still occasionally do um and they're yeah, usually like fun. to rob the dead blind <laughs> <laughs> i mean they're usually kind of fun because you like you see these like uh beautiful houses that like have not been changed since the 70s and it's mm-hmm. like kind of fun to just see them and then you buy something and then like i don't know the family has paid for the funeral um and uh we found out <clears throat> that uh when we were in the house and we've been like looking at like there was like a bookshelf that i thought was so fucking cool but it was like an actual oak bookshelf it would have been like hundreds of dollars right and i was like trying to measure up stuff and i was like yeah i i, I would i would take this probably you know we need to like work with them to see if i could come back with a truck later or whatever and then some uh little old lady comes up, up to me and she goes do you know who lived here before and i went no uh, and she went, there was a couple that lived here and they had a house in Mexico and they were both murdered and thrown in a well. <laughs> <laughs> and I went, oh, 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 okay. And we thought she was just kind of loony. She was a neighbor who was not there to buy anything. She just was sort of trauma coping by wandering through this estate sale and I looked it up later. Everything she said was true. Yeah. And Must have been I, a big well. And here's the, the connection to the thing I just mentioned. Um, mm-hmm. On one of the armchairs, there was a Jack Reacher novel with a bookmark halfway through. You think he, they got too close to Jack Reacher? <laughs> he, he takes no prisoners, as I understand. This guy, the first thing he did, he got to heaven and he was shaking people. He's like, what happens with Jack Reacher? What happens uh, with uh, Beyond a Shadow of Justice? Was the movie adaptation good? I was waiting to watch it till I finished the novel. I heard it was good. I heard don't watch the sequel, but I heard the original was good. The Amazon show. Is it good? <laughs> I forgot about the Amazon show. Who plays um, Jack Reacher in the Amazon show? It's just a big bulky man. I don't know. Big boy. You don't know who it is? He's a big boy. You'd have to. <clears throat> anyway, so uh, they're in the Predator City. Um, there's Oh, the other joke I wanted to mention. Um, I thought the movie was going to be sillier. It's not. There's a Minions reference. So they, they're they like, in the past, people must have worshipped these deities because it's been so oh. long in the future. <clears throat> And I'm someone who thinks that's a funny joke because I'm like, yeah, if you found this pop culture bullshit in like everyone's house from a certain era, like you would eventually, and it's on TV, people, like people move out in droves to see these despicable me movies. Like you would assume there was some sort of like deeper cultural importance to specifically the minions. Uh, yeah. Uh, well, I mean, that could be of anything, right? Like we could be like, man, the Egyptians used to worship cats or... They had a Saturday morning cartoon that was very popular, and those are all children's bedsheets featuring their favorite cat characters. <laughs> or they're like, 
these people used to worship this T-shape on the wall. Apparently they were sadomasochists that likes yeah. torture and death. We believe it stands for try to avoid the apocalypse. <laughs> they didn't they do failed. it. They failed. Uh, if yeah, only so... more people had T's on their necks <laughs> and in their homes, they would have remembered. Sometimes they put a little little statue of a guy on the T. <laughs> Okay, so get this tea off me. <laughs> I'll run through the plot actually really quickly. Yeah, please. Um, so uh, Valentine is Hugo Weaving's character. He has a conspiracy plot to gather all this old tech and rebuild this Medusa cannon, which is like a powerful weapon that they're going to use to. Yeah, that destroyed the destroyed the world. Right? It destroyed the world. It, it, it creates these like black oh, hole sorry. weapons. Um, so it doesn't leave behind like nuclear residue, but it does like fuck things up. They're trying to take down this essentially Great Wall of China to access this part of Asia that is untouched by this massive global um, black like, hole uh, event. Black hole event. But this thing where like uh, the consumption has been so insane that the entire world is a wasteland except for this like po- this like. Um, large section of of Asia that's being defended by land dwelling, like um, anti tractionist. I think is the word. Yep. So, um, so anyways, Hugo Weaving, um, as he's walking around, um, we see a young woman with a scarf covering her face and her and a scar over her face. She comes and she tries to assassinate Hugo Weaving. She's stopped by Tom um, because Tom has grown to appreciate Hugo Weaving's sense of leadership or whatever. And and fr- uh, friends with her, his daughter. Yes, yes. And I think possibly wants to date her, but that doesn't actually happen because she ends Get up... Get co-workers or something? I, I don't know. There's a lot of people you think are going to be romantically involved with Hugo Weaving's daughter and then no one is. There's a lot of generically handsome and pretty people in this movie yeah. that have no personality. And so you're just like... I don't know. He smiled at her, so I'm guessing they're dating. I yeah, he's know. got frosted tips, or that's a weird black hole radiation side effect <laughs> that affects people. It's hard to tell how he really got frosted tips. Anyways, yeah. so uh, Valentine is pursuing this girl who just t- tried to assassinate him unsuccessfully. Um, Tom is trying to uh, to catch her as well and arrest her, and they're running through one of these cities being digested, and this is another problem I have with this movie. It doesn't. I, I, of course, there's only one Predator City di- digestion, and it's mostly off screen. Like, I want to see like them taking apart people's houses and shit. Like, I want to see like the like the actual tragedy of the city being digested. Instead, they're just like, oh well, you better get out. <laughs> We're eating your house. <laughs> um, so. Um, as they're in this sort of maw, this industrial maw of this massive city being digested, um, Hugo Weaving confronts the girl and confronts Tom. Uh, Tom tries to save the girl. She falls out of the poop chute. Um, and then Hugo Weaving's like, what'd she tell you? And he's like, oh, she said that you did bad stuff. And then... She said that you're not such a nice fella. He's like, <laughs> not on my watch. I'm, people aren't going to say that about me. <laughs> now you got the, you got the not, I'm not a nice fella disease yeah. out with you. And, and he pushes uh, pushes uh, yep. Tom out. So now Tom and... I want to say Mason? <laughs> I want to say Mason? Tom and... I'm pulling up the cast list. So I, I will say, don't feel bad about not knowing names or terms in this. If I don't know if you read the Wikipedia entry. 
The Wikipedia entry has more quotations around words and terms of any Wikipedia. Like, it is, there is so much. They don't do a good job world building, but they do do a great job of naming every goddamn thing some stupid future name. And the Wikipedia entry is like, and then the goons attack the floats, which is <laughs> by, the, by the scurvy boys. And it's like, and then, uh, of course, uh, strife. Like it's it's all a bunch of nonsense words, so don't don't feel it bad about that. It's 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 goofy. So Hester Shaw, which is a, is a good name. The character's not that memorable. I should have known that. That's the one they say the most because they're like, "Who's your mission to find?" Yeah, she's and, our and main the, character. Yeah, yeah, Hester Shaw. I remember Tom because it's the most generic uh, British guy name. Um, yeah. but it's a good name. But it's the most generic British guy name. Yeah. Uh, so Hester Shaw. Um, is, uh, with Tom, and she's doing the tip, they're doing the typical, um, like, YA novel thing, where she's tough and hard, and he's soft and sensitive, because he's a historian, and, um, I'm not even gonna jump back to the fact that he was, like, holding onto historical artifacts, it's grandly unimportant. Like a toaster. Yeah, it's, it's unimportant. Um, so... Uh, she is, like, all tough, and he's all soft, and, but, like, um, he tried to save her, and so she feels some sort of sense of he's duty. He's like, are you telling me my whole world's a lie? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, it's that plot where he's like, yeah. he's like, are you telling me English people may not be on the up and up? What? <laughs> Rubbish. <laughs> Look, just because he threw me out the old... <laughs> <laughs> the Pope shoot. <laughs> he threw me out the loo. The, the loo. <laughs> Doesn't mean that, you know, he probably just tripped. He, God. She's like, I'm telling you, he killed my mom. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, Hester Shaw and him are moving through the post. Oh, I know a, a little visual scene, though, because they get knocked out and they have to walk in the tire tracks, which essentially creates these giant valleys. I was going to say that. That is Great. that is enormously cool. That's one thing yeah. I like about this movie is the sense of scale is, like, really. is good. Yeah, I mean, like I said, the effects and, like, everything. Everything that they show looks great. Yeah. You, uh, can, you can tell that. So the person who directed this movie was Peter Jackson's, like, one of his visual effects and special effects coordinators all the way back to, like, Meet the Feebles time. So he, yes. like, he is clearly very good at that. Maybe not so good at directing or adapting a story. But Yeah. Yeah. He's, yeah. um... So Christian Rivers is not a good not a good director. Um, he was someone that Peter Jackson, because Peter Jackson obviously was one of the co-founders of Weta Digital, which is one of the major SFX studios. We've covered multiple Weta movies because they're just fantastic. They 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 yeah. Um, they uh, also recently, like they may win an Oscar again for uh, Avatar: Way of Water. Like they're yeah. just. They did the Rise of the Planet of the Earth, the uh, Planet of the Apes movies, the new yeah. new uh, series. Um, like they're they're, they're incredible. Lord so, anyways, Rings, uh, famously, what Lord of the Rings famously and Lord of the Rings? Yes, their <laughs> yeah. their 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 list is huge. Uh, multi, I think a few of the movies we're covering this month had what a uh, digital effects. I'm sure. Um, so, um, one of the issues of this movie is that it has these great concepts, but not particularly great execution. And that the, the fact that this entire scene takes place inside these massive tire tracks is like a really cool concept. Um, but the movie does not have particularly good action dynamism, right? Like I don't feel any sense of excitement when people are shooting at each other. The camera placement's not that exciting. The sense of place is not that exciting. Like we've already talked about the fact that we're kind of disengaged from like the characters and plot, but like, I just mean like, 
I've seen uh, hundreds, maybe at this point, DTV action movies where I've been like, I know where the camera is supposed to be. It's exactly where it is. I don't know anything about this character except for it's Scott Atkins. And <laughs> Scott Atkins is beating the shit out of this dude. And, and I'm excited by Scott Atkins beating the shit out of this dude. This movie is full of action sequences that have no action dynamism. It does not have any of the qualities that you would see in, say, a John Wick or an Atomic Blonde. Um, yeah, I, and I actually think that's a huge problem because, like, the we talked about the first 15 minutes being the only really part that I think from, like, a action scene that really was gripping. But it's gripping because of scale and spectacle it is not gripping because it's like well directed like i know this is comparing to like one of the best but if you look at like the opening chase sequence of like a mad max and and this it's like it is surviving on spectacle and size and scale alone and by the time you get two hours into the movie you're bored by all of that because the the camera like people jump off of planes and and grip onto new planes that you didn't even know were there they were just off frame and apparently the other character who was looking at it didn't know it that she could just jump off because it's like it's just it's terrible blocking it's terrible action directing we're just it it's it's like things in a computer where the it doesn't have to be as part of the real world that but that that doesn't matter at the opening scene where it's supposed to be like a tiny city being swallowed up by a bigger city and it feels overwhelming and it looks amazing and the scale is carrying you through. And then that goes away. I mean, even they get picked up by the uh, old couple from Never Ending Story yeah. in the centipede. Um, I mean, they really were like, hey, what if we do the Never Ending Story? Like they're, they're the old couple that rescues Bastion after the luck dragon in never ending story and they have a camouflage centipede mobile which is something that what i would i would go fuck yeah if at yeah. this point i was not already starting to check out right yeah like yeah. the idea that people not just adapted people are not just adapting machines to like uh i want the biggest motherfucker possible people are adapting their machines to like i want to avoid the biggest motherfucker possible because that's how adaptation works in animals and it's how it works in people right like we're constantly trying to um undermine other people's strengths um and like a centipede that can dig under the ground and like go right under tire tracks is a really cool idea yeah. So, um, we end up going to a, um, slave trading town because this old couple actually, had, uh, abducted, um, Hester and oh, yeah. Tom. And to sell them to slave traders. To them so, slave traders. And, and that way, I want to, I want to underline, in that way, they're unlike the old couple. <laughs> story. They're actually closer to the old couple in, um, have you ever seen Book of Eli? Uh, no. One of the only good parts of Book of Eli is this old couple. They're, like, all sweet. I think Michael Gambon is the husband. Um, they're all sweet and nice, and they offer them tea and stuff. And then when they're in the house, um, the, you realize that this old couple are, are cannibals. Um, and, yeah. uh, like, that's, like, one of the only, like, uh, good parts of that movie. But anyways, uh, this old couple... Well, the other, hold on, the other... We passed over... Hold on, we passed over one thing. Hester pulls out food out of her bag to eat, and it's a Twinkie, which I think would have been acceptable. And then they have a conversation about how Twinkies, like, that's like a thousand years old. And they're like, and she's like, the food that the ancients made was never meant to expire. And she eats the Twinkie. And, like, maybe that would have been acceptable if the movie was 2013. But, like, I really need movies 
to understand that we get it about fucking Twinkies and an apocalypse. Like, yeah. you like we've all seen Zombieland. Stop being like, oh my god, the Twinkie. Also, Zombieland. Also, a thousand years. Oh, Come on. Yeah, Zombieland was not doing that as a piece of cultural commentary. Yeah. Zombieland was doing that because Woody Harrelson was just like, I have one particular interest. This yeah. transports me back to the past, and I have three minutes of joy in an otherwise pretty scary, tense world. But that's sort of like, that's actually a good, that's a good, like, death knell. That's a good tombstone on the movie being funny or quirk or witty. Um, Agreed. That was about the part that I started checking. Yeah. So, um... They start to sell them into slavery, and then a character appears who is um, supposed to be the coolest, baddest, Boba Fett, bounty hunter, whatever, oh, that breaks yeah, them out of slavery, it. sweeps them away in her Well, hold airship. on, though. you Hold on, but they let out the Shrike first. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Shrike on. shows up at the slave. I'll, I'll, I'll get there. So they sweep okay. them away in the airship. Uh, in the interim, the sequence that I referenced earlier happened, which is um, that there's a prison... And, okay, this is one of those things where the movie fucks up world building for me. So there's a prison, and apparently the prison keeps prisoners. Which, in the post-apocalypse, you'd be like, why wouldn't you just kill all your prisoners? Um, And and they're keeping prisoners, and they go and visit this prisoner. And uh, it's uh, a guy who is a robot guy played by Robert, uh, not Robert, it's Stephen Lang, who's an actor I quite love. Yeah. Um, really good in movies. Great that... in Gettysburg. <laughs> is he in Gettysburg? Yeah. He I haven't seen Pickett. Gettysburg since I was in high school. He, play, he plays Pickett. He he's, the, he's the guy who's like, uh, you know, at the end, I, I just remember that. Like, I kind of like, I remember kind of liking Gettysburg. Um, but there's a scene where he, uh, where Martin Sheen's like, you know, General, get your man. And in a very Stephen Lang voice, is like, General, I have no man. Oh, there we go. <laughs> 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 that's awesome that rules yeah. um i uh but yeah Stephen lang someone i, I quite love even in movies i like to- totally love um like, like tall tale no oh, tall tale um don't breathe like there's movies that yeah. i i appreciate him and that he's not don't breathe him. too where is the hero i haven't seen him he's too he's too buried under special effects and a weird accent to be appreciated in this movie at all so i cannot give shrike any credit I can give it conceptual credit, like I can give the rest of the movie. Shrike is in a uh, concrete box jail hanging over the ocean. It's a really cool image. Um, how yeah, I like that. And, and, and the concept of Shrike, while we're here, because we're just going to do the whole Shrike plot. Um, Shrike uh, rescued uh, Hester when she was a child. Um, after. After. We should, we should. Yeah. Hester was, uh, Hester was the daughter of a woman who was kind of hunting for old artifacts with Valentine, which is um, 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 uh, Hugo Weaving's uh, character. And they Hold on, I, th- I, thought Hugo we- I thought Hugo Weaving was Hester's actual father. Yeah, it's part of the reveal, Aaron. Oh. Um, I mean, they reve- that's early reveal, though. They she, reveal she that they were together, this. but they don't reveal that he's her actual father oh, until I, the last scene. If that was supposed to be a surprise, it was not a surprise. Exactly. exactly. She lives alone in the apocalypse, and then yeah, she, exactly. he visits. Okay. You're 15 seconds ahead of me. Um, okay. So, uh, he, uh, what's his name? Uh, Hugo Weaving um, found a piece of tech that uh, Hester's mother did not want him to have. He murdered her, uh, tried to murder uh, a little girl. And at this point, you don't know it, but 
Hugo Weaving is her father. He maybe wasn't trying to murder her. He was maybe trying to like bring her into the fold. Um, yeah, it was part. It was part of the. She had discovered the, the uh, the way to stop the, um, Hydra device or whatever it's called. Yeah, the Medusa. Medusa device. Yeah. yeah. Which which is now a necklace that Hester carries around her neck. Yes, because she escaped. Um, it says escaped USA on it. Yeah. USA. <laughs> I don't. Um, I, I still don't understand if that was like supposed to be a commentary on something. I don't. I don't know. Um, <clears throat> yeah, she escapes it, and then she meets a robot. Dad. She meets a robot zombie guy, which I think is a cool concept that he is roaming the apocalypse, and he yeah. rescues her. He just decide like he just decides to rescue her, and then he makes her eat whatever food he finds, like slop, uh, and he grows attached to her. And because he's, you know, partially human, because he's like partially a zombie, but partially a robot. So he just follows strictures. And then he uh, at some point is like building her a robot body because he's like, you're a human. You're growing up. You're going to die. I don't die. So I'm going to put your consciousness into a robot body and you'll live forever. She doesn't want that to happen. Um And because I think it's a horrifying process and I don't even know if it would be her on the other end. Right? Um, It's uh, not supposed to be a pleasant thing. Anyway, so uh, they blow up the prison. Yeah. Which I don't understand. Like, as part of world building, I hate that. Because I'm like, as part of world building, I want them to, like, give them some sort of weird object that they would value. That, like, why why would a prison exist in a world where you could just blow it up? I mean, I told you, all the world building is terrible. They're just like, "There's there's this thing now. Nothing is attempted. Like again, I don't need to. F- I don't need to feel like it is plausible. Doesn't even need to make sense. Just make make sure that you know that I know, or or I know that you know that. Like, hey, like it's it, again to go back to Valerian. Like, yes, if you got into the logistics of how all this worked, you could find a million holes in it. And that's not all that interesting to do to any movie that's a fantasy sci-fi epic. But at least give me an explanation for how this works. Because if not, you're just introducing random bullshit. And it's like, then there's an underwater prison. And then this. It's like, you know, I have my problems with the South Park guys. But the one thing they say is, like, you can always tell shitty movie writing or script writing because it's people going and then this happens and then this happens and then this happens as opposed to going this happens because of this and so for like the connection pieces and this movie is a and then this happens and then this happens and there's like not even the slightest attempt to to bring you into why it happened so there's two things going on for me one i do not know why hugo weaving would give enough of a shit to want to hunt her down? No. And, oh, well, I guess because I guess I guess the reveal later on is that she has the USA key that can stop her device. Yeah, device. but Shrike is Shrike's goal is not to retrieve a key from her. Shrike's goal is to murder her and put her body into a machine or put her body so in a machine. I the thing I don't get, and the movie does not make clear, but I he doesn't make a deal I, with Shrike. He's just like go find Hester Shaw. No, 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 no. That's not what he says. Because I actually think because he says. Who so I think at some point he had been involved with imprisoning him, Shrike. And he asked her, Who is your target? And she he says Hester. Um Prim. <laughs> no, he says uh he says, uh, who's your target? And he says Hester's name, 
And then she says, great. And he lets him out. So I think, like, he assumes that this guy is going to go kill Hester. But his mission is different of why his target is to find Hester. So he doesn't say go kill her. He confirms who his target is and lets him out. Yeah, but him, him he, I don't whatever think he he's going to do him. doesn't guarantee that he's going to get the other Medusa key back. He's not tracking, and he's not well. At this, but at this point, Shrike. you don't know. But at this, yeah. Why would well, he not this... break Shrike out so that he can go with Shrike and be like, Shrike, I, I just want this key. If you find Hester, you, this, you've paid your debt. But so, but see, I think you're missing that, and it's not your fault because it's the movie that's stupid. Because they don't establish any of this stuff, so so at no point is Shrike working with Hugo Weaving. Hugo Weaving knows that Shrike is in prison. Why? We have no fucking idea. They don't explain that. And he knows that somehow that Shrike's target is Hester. So I think what happens is that he goes, again, we don't know how Hugo Weaving knows all that information. He goes, I know what I'm going to do. I know that this weird robot Terminator zombie guy is looking for Hester, who I know is my daughter. So the way I'm going to solve this problem, now that I know that Hester is alive and looking for me to kill me, I'm going to let this robot guy out. of Because, like, he doesn't let him out. He very purposely throws him in the water with, like, a timed explosive so he can get the fuck out of there. Because he knows, like, Shrike is not working and I, with, with Hugo Weaving. I think Hugo Weaving knows that he would be in danger if he just let him out. All he knows is this this robot prisoner is looking for Hester, and he makes an assumption it's to murder and kill her. For reasons that he doesn't know, but they don't they don't explain any of that at all. And so it's just like he's like and then he goes to the prison and then he lets this robot out. This robot says he's he's going to kill Hester. His target is Hester. And then but I mean, the, the other problem is at this point, we don't even know that Hester has the key. They just say it's an object that he wants. Like, we have no idea why. And it's not even an object he wants. He wants it. It's the object that he doesn't want her to break into London and insert into the right computer. But again, they they hide. She has the right that's thumb a, drive. That's a terrible reveal that they wait till the very end for two. Because you're right, we have no idea why Hugo. Like, why didn't he kill her then instead of push her out? How does he even know she's still alive? She, he doesn't know. Yeah. If he wanted her dead, why he should have killed her instead of pushing her out. If he knows that pushing her out keeps her alive, then why is he sending this robot prisoner who is he knows from some other part that's not in this movie that is just trying to find his daughter like it none of it makes any goddamn sense and you again you have to assume that all this stuff makes sense in the book and they're like they're taking pieces of the book without giving any of the meaningful connective tissue or i have bad news for you the book also sucks yeah maybe yeah maybe (laughs) i mean i i want to also just like note here if you're doing a sci-fi story or a fantasy story or a horror story where, like, the world is a little bit weird. If you don't take an opportunity like, hey, I need to get this guy out of prison as a story writing challenge. I want, I, you know what, what are, the, what are these uh, people in this particular world, why do they operate a prison? Are, are, is it run by robots and they want old world tech? I could give them a bunch of useless old world tech from the museum. Is it where they put all the zombie robot terminators because they couldn't kill them the normal way? Yeah, does he need to somehow... Out, even though we find out later it's actually relatively, like, it's slightly harder than normal to kill it. Yeah, but, 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 like, the point is, like, you can do world building here to be like, I want this guy out so he goes on his mission, yeah. like, and do some sort of world building. Instead, it's just like, 
Uh, I know she's alive, and I want her Who's de- your dead or whatever. Hester. And I'll, I'm going to blow up this prison, yeah. and you don't have any sense of what the... Because he blows up the prison instead of negotiates with the prison, you don't have any sense of their relative places in the universe. Is this prison a big, like... T- is he performing some sort of act of, like, holy uh, 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 heresy? Like, is this, Well, and did Shrike come like after an, an Hugo Weaving? Or is just, like, a little dinky prison that he's just like, yeah, I guess this guy's in this prison. Why is all this in such a small location when the entire Earth is available? I don't know. One, another one. But, uh, again, like, you could be like, oh, did Shrike at some point try to attack and kill Hugo Weaving because Shrike knew that Hugo Weaving had a connection to Hester, but then Hugo Weaving captured her and only knew that this robot weirdo was like, where's Hester? And so he assumed that he was there to kill Hester. Like, all these things would be interesting. And help you understand why anything is going on, yeah. as opposed to like waiting for all of it for barely twists that only end up going. Okay, so wait, why did he not kill her if she knew she had the yeah. key? And I know we're fixating on this, but I feel like it's a good microcosm of the rest of the movie, which is just that like the it's a A to D back to B back and then jump all the way to fucking Z kind of plotting. Yeah, like, it's it's just it's why we have no connection to anything that's going on because we ultimately the movie is giving us too little from a character and a plot and a motivation standpoint and again it's like hey robot terminator pretty cool and I go yes I agree movie that's cool as shit I love that. Why is anything happening? Yeah. Like, like it looks cool and it looks good. Like it's well made. And I love the idea. Why that is this anything world happening? For some reason, has weird robot revenants. Like that's cool. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Why? What? They're zombies? Did the black holes do that? Would have been mildly interesting to learn why zombies exist in this world. Were these for war? Were these for a different purpose? Like, what's the world building here? Is that yeah? Is that where they're putting all the zombies? They had they at some point there was a like was there a attempted AI matrix. <laughs> Like thing yeah. post the uh, Badoot. Like again, a lot of interesting questions. I don't need you to go deep. One of the things that Valerian and a lot of these other movies do a good job of is they actually don't answer much questions. They say, here's a little tantalizing idea of the framework and let your mind fill in the rest of the blanks. Yeah. But you can't constantly give my mind a blank sheet of paper and go, I don't know, make <laughs> up anything. Yeah. Because <laughs> we know there are answers somewhere in one of the three or four books. We just don't know them because the movie does not care to share them with us anyways let's keep the plot moving um so they make it to cloud city um shrike attacks cloud it's a giant hot air balloon city um cloud city has some very beautiful people well they meet the rebel so they do meet the rebels that are trying to kill they're like you don't know they know that he's going after medusa to rebuild and hester's like that's stupid why would he do that yeah everyone's like we don't know they're really stupid, but that's what he's been working on for 20 years. You might be able to help us because we think you have a connection. Yeah. And uh, two people that are in the um, uh, very sexy Cloud City uh, are two people that people uh, lust after a little bit. Um, Roger uh, Jean Page, um, who is in um, Bridgerton. Um, he is one of the pilots, uh, one of the buddies of, um, our, our little strike team. Uh, and then, uh, from the Expanse, uh, Frankie Adams plays also one of the people, 
um, who yeah. I personally Lucky. have a big crush on because she's one of the most beautiful people on the planet. Um, Roger Jean Page also is too pretty for this movie because he pops up and you're like, why weren't you the lead? I would have looked at your face for longer than Tom. Um, both of the actors, I would say, is like, why? you're better actors. I've seen you in better things. Um, I want to also note that the person who plays uh, Anna Fang, which is a great, uh, great bounty hunter name, is played by a actor-musician named Ji-hae, who did, like, K-pop and stuff. Huh? Um, yeah, I mean, a lot of very beautiful people in this movie. Sometimes yeah. generic beautiful, but... I will say Ji-hae is perhaps poorly directed, but she gives a very bad performance in this movie, regardless. Um, this bounty hunter character is so fucking bland. Uh, is She has a great look. She's very like she's very personally charismatic. It all looks good. Her her costumes are all very cool. Like she's got these like long red trench coat, and she's yeah, got these like it's all it's all steampunky, fancy steampunk uh like Winchester shotgun thingy. Yeah, but that has like four barrels and it rotates like a fucking Gatling gun. It's it's yeah, it's cool. It's good. Yeah, it's a very uh, video game ass gun, but yeah, yeah, that's enough. That's the thing about this movie is that there there's like a sort of implication that like the culture is like descending backwards because now they're like Im- indicating like Victorian or like 1910s, 1920s London, but like yeah, I mean it's very steampunky, and I'm fine with that. I'm not one of those like. Like steampunk as a design, like I, what's that like uh, Alice Madness Returns game that yeah, was yeah. like, I, like I, I love that design. That's yeah. very like, uh, it can, it's a, just it's like a any, compliment for me. Any any aesthetic can be overused, but I, I think they do a good job here. I, I still I think struggle the movie with. Looks good. I think the idea of like the red, the red, um, the red the mask face looks mask, good. Yeah, I think it's a really evocative idea. The movie is just you know, yeah, <laughs> everything <laughs> about it down, this, there's no mystery. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the, yeah, everything about the way the movie looks, including costumes and design and production, like, all looks great. Yeah. I also, while we're there, just a quick note, there's a few points in the movie where people reference, um, Hester Shaw as being ugly because of the scar. Um, Hester Shaw is a, uh, Icelandic act, uh, played by an Icelandic actress. She is very beautiful. Um, the performance is very generic, but, like, the, the actor is undoubtedly, she's very beautiful. Uh, I find it very funny that in, like, the year 1000 or whatever, that, like, gutter punk slaver pirates would be like, she's not so nice to look at. It's like, how desperate are you? She looks like a it's model. Like, like, it's like, yeah, it's like Sidney Crawford. Like, she does have that weird mole. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> kind of gross, if you ask me. Like, you're knocking down the price I'm that much? Sure she's beautiful. It's so funny when they do that in movies. They're like, they're like, they, cause they take a 10 and then they're like, they take like a very beautiful woman that any, no one would disagree with. Sometimes like, they give her gla- glasses and overalls. <laughs> they're like, ooh, gross. <laughs> cause like they can't actually have you not be sexually attracted to her at any point. No. Yeah. It's so Cause you gotta be, you gotta be like, they so gotta weak. have like some horny, sad 13 year old, like soon to be incel being like, everyone thinks you're ugly, but I'm in love with you. Exactly. I, I wouldn't care about your scars. Perfect 10. <laughs> it's so fucking weak, man. Uh, I do. I do think that's like uh, intentionally or not. The fantasy they're trying to get at is like you as an audience member, uh, a horny preteen audience member thinks, Hey, 
I wouldn't care about those things. These guys are idiots. I think you're beautiful. And, like, concoct a fantasy where, like, man, if only I could meet one person with some minor physical de- defects, but otherwise completely gorgeous, <laughs> I would show her the right amount of affection. Because they really want someone who's just, like, like has just low enough self-esteem that... yeah. You can feel like a good guy for dating yeah. someone with... with All I want is that. an absolutely gorgeous girl with terrible low self-esteem self-esteem, so that they'll be mine forever. Because no one else wants them but me. Yeah. I'm really yeah. I'm really putting uh, a lot on this movie like in terms of impact, but I absolutely agree with you. Like This is like... Oh, I, 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 I think that's a very common trope that movies do all the time. It's bothersome. Like, it is bothersome. And it, it, it sets a precedent that like... You can have a disability as long as you're a 10. Yeah. Well, like, the ideal woman... (laughs) Am I wrong? Well, so I I do think... I I actually read, like, something about this, and I I watched a YouTube essay that mentioned this, but, like, I do think there is something in the idea of, like, posing this gorgeous gorgeous women specifically as, like, ugly social outcasts that everyone else rejects that you can fantasize about, like seeing past what like glasses and overalls or whatever or a scar or whatever stupid shit they're positioning the movie like has an impact of like the way that uh shitty men view women and that like if they're always looking for quote like diamond in the roughs that no everyone else rejects and when they meet women that hey it's actually if you meet a woman in real life a it's not just about looks but if they're generally gorgeous and like just have a weird haircut you might not be the only person who finds them gorgeous. And then you being like, oh, she's not like the character. Like it has like a very misogynistic, like controlling incel, like approach. Again, I don't, I You're don't think right. there's a, there's yeah. a, there's a, um, there's an, somebody <clears throat> being able to pat themselves on the back for, um, not feeling shallow. Um, uh, because, uh, it's, it's a supermodel with a minor deformity. <laughs> Or even like, what was the like the wife guy who's like, uh, you know, I love my curvy wife. I love my yeah the curvy and wife then guy he who's like pictures of her and a, she's a, just, a, just a just a generally gorgeous woman and he's like, I have everyone makes fun of me, but I like having sex with my gorgeous <laughs> wife. <laughs> and he's like, uh, I'm actually a hero, just to be clear. And then and then like. I like, and then everyone's like, "Yeah, dude, your wife is hot." And he like, I'm, I think there was something where he was like getting annoyed at like, "My wife is not hot. My wife is hot to me." Like, how dare other people? Or I, maybe that. Oh yeah, he thing. got he got mad about people objectifying his wife, and, and and we were like, "You're not a hero for having sex with a hot person." <laughs> I, I know. Was this? Um, was but this a but big but, it, but it's for it's you all sex with somebody with a nice butt. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 <laughs> all the same. baby. It's like it's like uh, painting superficiality as like humanitarianism, and then yeah. being annoyed when other people like also find not not generically but like generally attractive people attractive because now they're like everyone thinks you're attractive, you whore, yeah. <laughs> you know, or something like that. Yeah. So, Anyways, yeah. most of this could probably be edited out, but um, absolutely, uh, absolutely. Yeah, I don't think it's this movie's fault. I I think that's a absolutely common trope they, something they use in these like preteen movies. It's pre-teen absolutely something things. this movie is 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 uh, trading in. leaning into. Yep, one hundred percent. But yes, so uh, we're almost anyway, at the end of the movie. Cloud City blows up. Uh, Cloud City. Everybody uh, abandons ship and goes to the Great Wall of China. I I wish there was a better way to say that. Um, and 
uh, at the Great Wall of China, uh, there's a standoff between uh, London, who has assembled the Medusa cannon. I'm yeah, and then and, and everyone's like, "Wait, why would we want this? Uh, don't you remember what happened in history?" He goes, "Who cares?" Go <laughs> weaving. He does do some good tuner, uh, ch- uh, scenery chewing where he's like. Who cares about the history? They're all dead. They can't judge us. And everyone's like, that's not what that means. Yeah, it's they, it, yeah, it's like if you've stubbed your toe on this table before, maybe move the table over enough inches that you don't stub your, ta- your toe he's like, on that, He's like, I don't care how many people have stubbed their toe. Now I have the table that, now, that stubs the toe. <laughs> <I have>, okay. <laughs> I have a I have a steampunk toe with gears and <laughs> I have become table stubber of toes. Uh, he does have a really cool steampunk machine gun that's like a, yeah. it's, it looks like oh a, yeah it looks like a um like a, a, a toy block that a kid would have but it's like an automatic derringer it's pretty rad yeah yeah a lot of the guns and stuff like that and again that, that's the kind of like I, I think earlier in this episode you kind of accused me of like everything doesn't need an explanation like if i wanted to get pedantic i could be like man for a for a civilization that is essentially no longer manufacturing things, bullets are sure plentiful. <laughs> like, yeah. they're not making bullets. They just have this many bullets. Like, it seems like, I mean, maybe it's a commentary about a thousand years later. There's still not a bullet shortage, even with the worldwide <laughs> um, uh, apocalypse. But again, that that feels like I, I, I'm only noting it because it does not bother me at all. And that feels like Cinemason's level, you didn't explain it movie. I'm not asking movies to explain why there's bullets. Uh, I am asking them to explain why someone decided they needed Predator cities. You're, 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 uh, you're correct. I, I buy the initial concepts, but uh, can't get much further. I buy it. Just give me a reason. Yeah. Give me one reason for Predator cities. <laughs> and I'll turn right back around. <laughs> Uh, oh, one thing, one cool thing that uh, about uh, Shrike is they refer to him as uh, the last of the Lazarus Brigade. Oh yeah, I love cool. I have that. I have that quote. They're like the last of the Lazarus Brigade. It's like okay, but see, that's good world building. It's a sentence that implies like this was something Lazarus has connotations of like back from the dead. We know is he's a zombie robot. Like cool. Yeah. The Lazarus Brigade sounds like it rules. I can take that context clues. Nody's the last one, and put the rest together in my head. That is not a blank canvas. That is the you're giving me at least fifty percent to work with. Yeah, and then and then he's like he's like Hugo Weaving says some shit to him about like when you sleep whatever, and he goes, "I do not sleep." I'm like that's cool. Got to sleep. He's he's in the he's in the water prison in the giant concrete too, but he doesn't sleep. Maybe take a nap. There's not much to look at, man. How else yeah, are you, you gonna pass your days? Like you you can't sleep or you refuse to because no one cares about this strike. <laughs> Shut down. <laughs> uh, you're in like, a concrete box. Literally, oh, your computer computers have sleep mode. <laughs> Actually, it's really good for computers to sleep sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, most most of the ways you fix a computer is you force it to shut down, <laughs> and then the computer's like, "Oh shit, sorry about all the oh, things God, I did yeah. earlier." <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. What were you saying was happening when you were clicking that? Look, I was very tired. Anyways, here's crisis. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um. So. <laughs> uh, what was I gonna say? Oh, so uh, they 
blow up with the Medusa cannon. They blow up the Great Wall of China. Um, I do want to say... Almost. Just, no, they're one hit away, remember? They blow it up twice. And the, the one cool moment is they... Um, the idea is that the Great Wall of China is so heavily defended that it could stop the Predator City, which I just frankly don't buy. Um, I, I, I don't buy it. And it also stops the Medusa cannon, the which destroy Like, the Medusa cannon rearranged the continents... And it's taken a couple blasts to get through the Great Wall of China. Like, <laughs> come on, come on now, something's missing there. Movie. Yeah. Um, I want to see what this uh, Medusa cannon does on low settings to my. <laughs> oh, they, they, it's on the stun setting. <laughs> I wanted to rearrange my. <laughs> oh, you never go full Medusa cannon. <laughs> I would imagine it's not good for me. It's basically just one snake. We call it the Medusa <laughs> cannon. It's one snake max. All right. Um, yeah. So anyways, uh, one cool thing about that is that when it, it blows up, people get sucked into the, yeah, the void. It's, uh, it's a singularity. Yeah, it's it's a it's a cool it's a cool thing. You don't really get to no. see it outside of video games, but you get to see it a lot in video games. You can see it a lot if you like this. I'd recommend some video games. I think there's a game. There's like a red faction game where a, one of your weapons just fires a little singularity portal. I'm sure Saints Row did this. I think there's a game I'm, called Singularity that probably yeah, Singularity this. rules. It's yeah, like it's a, a Bioshock uh, thing, except the the thing is like you have a constant like past future gun that rearranges environments. Yeah. It's good. Good game. There's good. Good game. Uh, anyways, uh, they're stopped because uh, the Cloud City launches a cloud attack on um, London. Air versus land. Air versus land. Um, <laughs> yeah. London. It's like keep calm and keep fire on the Medusa cannon. You know. Yeah. Um, London calling. <laughs> Literally, they're not stopping calling. They're right outside How our did door. This movie resist the urge to play a London calling. I mean, London Calling must be the cheapest song of all time to license because it's in a thousand movies. Yeah, like play the, London Calling. You it, can do it. It's a great. It's a great song. The you market value is so low because it has so little impact now. This is actually a movie that I think it would be funny if they had. They played London Calling and they just showed yeah. the, the shithole steampunk world. London rolling through the wasteland. Yeah, what Absolutely. were you thinking? Yeah, I mean they're from New Zealand. Maybe they've never heard of it. Yeah, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> I definitely do not want Piccadilly Circus. Oh, by the way, did I um did you uh, oh, notice that instead of are you going to Scarborough Fair it's is Scarborough Fair coming at you? <laughs> is San Francisco coming at you? <laughs> Doesn't matter if you wear flowers in your hair. Yeah. <laughs> um. This this Robert Sheehan guy. Uh. This is not the Clash, obviously, but he was in. Um. Oh, never mind. Edit that out. I thought he was going to be in the new. Um. The Terry Gilliam Misfits movie. Or um. No, sorry. I mean, yeah. Th- this has some D- Terry Gilliam DNA. Uh. The. Um, ending of the movie is just a bunch of people stop the Medusa can. Here's the thing. Predator cities. Medusa weapons. Nuclear weapons. What do you gotta do? Flight on a little Wright Brothers plane. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> oh yeah, they blow up. <clears throat> they blow up a bunch of like anti-aircraft guns because these guys are all so good at, at piloting their planes. Like I'm fine with that as like a finale. Like the idea that like okay, these people are we're gonna we're actually gonna throw everything we have at them. These people are so good at their you know it's it's you know it could be the you know, X wings blowing up the Death Star, right? Um, sure. It's just not. Um, it's not. So let's get to final thoughts. <laughs> Uh, the only thing that's kind movie. of funny, I think the implication is they were trying to stop the Lond- London from crashing into the Great Wall of China, and it just. But so uh, Hugo Weaving, um, Hester jumps off the plane and says, "I'm leaving you," and jumps off. And there's another plane that just suddenly appears that she jumps on and escapes to safety to be with her boyfriend. Um, Hugo Weaving gets in the plane and tries to pilot it up, but it crashes. And it crashes into the front tread of London, and the city instantly stops. And I'm not sure if they were trying to imply, like, their effort to stop and the collision of his tiny little airplane um, just happened to coincide, because they don't really make it clear. Or if this giant predator city that is charging into the Great Wall of Ch- uh, China is fucking stopped when a tiny little Orville White right plane goes under a tread because it's instantaneous it's like oh okay yeah it's the it's the sort of thing where <clears throat> if the movie had been about um the inner if they if it had been a movie or a tv show about the inner mechanics of the city and this and there had been some sort of like coup and they had taken over the engine room or whatever fine it looks like they just took over like the laser cannon on at top and I, then, but also, like, what are the chances the city stops the exact? Like, I I don't know what they're doing because his daughter it's, does it's, stop. His daughter does stop the ship because she goes into the room. No, I I know, like, but it it stops the second his plane hits the tread, which is like uh, a fucking Mack truck stopping because a fly hit it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's it it's is, again. I think it's supposed to be just timing, but it's bizarre. Yeah, it is bizarre. Um, anyway, but that's the whole movie. Like, and so then they fly away in a plane kissing her like i am annoyed how much of this is like about the airships and the planes at the end because it's again i want predator cities on the ground crashing into each other at a minimum and they fly away in a plane at the end kissing i i don't want to be her and her hester and her boyfriend i don't want to be a total nerd about this but like if you're gonna make a movie about predator cities make your movie about predator cities and then when you make a sequel expand on the formula undermine the formula like um involve cloud city or whatever like no do your do your do your your best to make this yeah horror then concept do planes, cool to me. boats yeah show all the different ways that these societies have taken like yeah i this again i i have to believe the book is better or the series of books better i mean I'm, I'm, I'm somewhat interested in and like also feels like the perfect kind of like in two or three years it'll be exactly the type of book my oldest daughter would be really into or something like that um but yeah you know this was the this obviously you had the peter jackson pedigree it had a good budget it thankfully looked good which i feel like one of the easiest ways these big big hulking sci-fi movies with high concept can fail is if they look like shit because it can be really easy for you to have to constantly like in a big action adventure epic if you're constantly suspending your disbelief on how bad everything looks uh you know good special effects or at least engaging set pieces can paper over a lot of stuff and 
Uh, but it can't paper over everything, and not only do they abandon the best part of the spectacle and the special effects after the first scene, none of the character motivation makes a ton of sense. None of the world building supports the plot. It's uh, it's just disappointing, and it was disappointing because it was like the one this month that I was like, oh, I haven't seen this. Hopefully, this is fun. And it wasn't fun. Uh, I am very happy we're bookending with a movie that I know for a fact and only watched two years ago that I that I really like. So we can have bookends of like I think successes. Yeah. Um, of this month, but yeah, this was you know I mean I I wouldn't recommend this to to anyone. No, I guess. no. Uh, <laughs> if you didn't see this movie in 2018, I recommend uh, stay the course. Um, but yeah, I, uh, I'm really glad what we are doing this month. I actually feel like doing movies like this, uh, is our, is us at our best sometimes because, yeah. uh, not necessarily this episode, but, um, <laughs> that this doing... is our best episode of all time, I think, yeah. <laughs> but doing an episode where we're actually like talking about media that no one particularly cares about and would love to forget. Um, but it's like big genre media, like maybe somebody missed something. Um, I feel like is, is, is us at our, uh, is, is us at our most important or mo- most uh, crucial <laughs> to the, to the Dorcosphere, right? Yeah. Um, and I, I, I and still I, hope like, there's a lot of stupid shit in this movie. I hope we are treading the line well between like, this is not like cinema sins level criticism or we hate movies level criticism, but this is just like, here's why this doesn't work. Yeah, exactly. Um, so my biggest problem with the movie, and this is my, my final thought here, is that it's incredibly bloodless. And I don't mean that literally, though would be nice. There's um, a little blood. It's a little blood. It's, a, it's incredibly bloodless. It's a sort of movie that is far too interested in adapting this, like, sweeping story without any particular interest in getting your blood pumping and particular interest in getting you involved the sense of the the the, sen- the sense of like just generic sweeping boredom that comes over you once you're about 10 seconds into an action scene and you realize all you're doing is looking for data to be like who survived the scene is just depressing it's 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 yeah. it's it's bore it's not just boring it's depressing to watch a movie and be like Oh, well, this action scene kind of sucks. I guess I just have to pay attention to, like, who is still standing at the end of it. That's a that's a terrible place to be in as a viewer, particularly for Aaron and I who are dorks about these these types of movies. Um, it's not just... And it's, you know, it, we talked about how the characters are, 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 aren't that interesting, but, like, you could have movies with fairly corny dialogue where I still love the characters because I feel like they've connected with something. But this movie has the, the YA problem. Where they cast people who are generically handsome, uh, generically beautiful, and then don't give them shit to do. They give them nothing to do. So even talented people are left looking like these sort of vague mannequins traveling Mm -hmm. from scene to scene with nothing posed in particularly vague directions. (laughs) Um, And I, I find that all very offensive given how much these movies cost. That and and how long Peter Jackson was trying to get to, this to screen. I think Peter Jackson yeah. would have fucked up this movie as well, given how intimately he involved he was in the production. I think he mm. would have fucked it up as well, which is kind of depressing. But I think it would have been weirder if Peter Jackson had done it, and at least that would have been nice. 
My my take is that if Peter Jackson had made this in 2009, it would have been good. I think two things hamper it. One is it also is by the time Mortal Engines actually comes out in 2018, like if this movie would have been come out came out in 2009, it is the first there there is no YA adaptation deluge yet, right? Like Hunger Games isn't out. <laughs> like you know, I don't. I you know, I think I guess probably Twilight. But the Divergent series hasn't started hitting, but Twilight is starting to get everyone's Mortal Engines running. Uh, because Twilight Pun was two thousand eight. Twilight was two thousand eight, right? Uh, that sounds right. I think I was a junior or sophomore in uh, in high school. Sounds right. Two thousand eight. Yep. But you're not quite at the the deluge of like apocalyptic Divergent, uh, the Maze Runner, like that Scorch level traps. of stuff. Yeah, so uh, welcome to the scorch. Um, you're not quite at that level of it. so, like if Peter Jackson directs it and it's not consciously or unconsciously, unconsciously or studio mandatedly trying to say here's what we know works in this proven genre of YA to screen adaptation, which this hits so many of those tropes, and this book came out before a lot of those other books. I have to imagine there's a, here's what we need from these. And instead, it came incredibly late into that trend where it was like people were kind of sick of the the YA apocalyptic film adaptations at that time. And it's not directed by Peter Jackson. And it's leaning into, instead of establishing its own world, it is leaning into YA fiction adaptation tropes that were well-worn territory, I think you have a very uninteresting movie. The 2009 version where Peter Jackson does this instead of uh, Lovely Bones? I think maybe that Peter Jackson doesn't spend the rest of his career making uh, a shitty Hobbit movie trilogy and then disappearing forever. So you're actually um, triggering something else in my brain, which is that Peter Jackson has of late... um, he became so enamored with the power of digital technology and making sure that his uh, his SFX company that was working overtime um, that he started making choices about his later films that were not beneficial to the films, but beneficial to Weta being extremely busy. Yeah. Um, one of which was that they started like uh, it's a, just a n- nugget, but in the Hobbit movies, <clears throat> um, they started doing pre-production and the way they did for the Lord of the Rings movies by building chain mail and, and all these physical costumes and putting uh, actors and orc, uh, you know, getting orc costumes yeah. and getting masks and trying to take the Lord of the Rings special effects to the next level. We've learned this about rubber molds. We've learned this about how to get uh, paint onto people faster and more efficiently and more smoothly and the light will catch on it. Let's yeah. move there. Instead, he got so caught up in the technology, he got obsessed with high frame rate bullshit for a while, that, like, he, um... He's kind of like a Robert Zemeckis, where, like, even though I like They Shall Not Grow Old and the parts of Get Back that I've seen, like, They Shall Not Grow Old is still a technological thing. And Get Back is good, but it's kind of, like, a weird... I, I, I sometimes forget that it was Peter Jackson. <laughs> Get Back is more important as a historical object, I think, than a piece of television. Yeah. Um, but yeah, but, but my point is that like Peter Jackson would take with I think he even did some shoots with orcs in physical costumes. And then yeah, he got so swept up in either what the technology could do or how long it would take to do pre-production on 
actual physical actors standing there on set that he went actually for the hobbit movies i'm going to replace all these these orcs with um and all these physical characters with um cgi creations and if you look at the hobbit movies they look like shit um they just across the board they look like shit um and i think that peter jackson in 2018 would have made a very terrible movie in 2009 i don't know if he had quite <clears throat> caught whatever brain rot um that yeah he i mean he's coming out those, his last movie would have been king kong which i think is good he also fought like against doing the hobbit for a period of time and then once he was yeah. in he was in yeah it was supposed to be del toro yeah because he didn't want to do it and then he agreed to do the first one and it was and then he's like but i'm just gonna do one movie and then he made three movies that were longer yeah, I don't know. There, there, there's something to like. There's a book somewhere out there of like when these auteur type directors and I'm getting more obsessed with the technology behind film than actually making movies. Like you got like a Robert Zemeckis or James Cameron, and like James Cameron is obviously like when he he's gotten obsessed with technology, but when he makes a movie, they're generally pretty good. Robert Zemeckis, since he got more obsessed with technology then actual filmmaking has basically never made another good movie. Yeah. Um, and Peter Jackson is this also this weird uh, outlier with that stuff. And, and Peter Jackson is less is more surprising because he was this weird rebel filmmaker making these like bizarro New Zealand horror, or, you know, meet the feebles, brain dead type shit. And then he got the Lord of the Rings, which a lot of us were excited about. And then he's like, yeah, I'm done. Yeah, done making mostly interesting stuff, I guess. Yeah, he had, he had a, the blank check of anybody's career, <clears throat> barring James Cameron and Spielberg. Like he got the biggest blank check that anyone's ever gotten, and he just kept investing in his company, which I can I can believe in. But he didn't really spend a lot of time propping up himself or other filmmakers to do to, to really like create great films. He 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 decided that he wanted to be a test kitchen for SFX, and that's yeah. That's just such a, a such a goddamn shame. Kind of a kind and, of a bummer. And when you see movies like Lovely Bones, where he was so focused on making like the supernatural elements look cool as SFX effects, and now they look like nothing. Yeah. Um, like well, go watch the Lovely Bones trailer. Like you'll, it, they look like it looks like nothing. It was it was impressive in two thousand and blah, but um, but he would missed key things like the fact that like. Mm. The, the key performers were giving these hammy shitty performances like he he lost all focus on the human element because he was yeah. so focused on this cgi bullshit and you see that with zemeckis as well with like the walk where you're like joseph gordon levitt is giving the corniest weirdest performance with that dumb accent and joseph gordon levitt's a great actor he didn't hire the wrong guy he yeah. just needed he to just give direct, him. He directed the wrong performance. But he was like, oh, I'm doing a small, quick movie. And then he got so obsessed with making the SFX work, which they look great. Um, he, he got so obsessed with making the SFX work that he didn't actually spend enough time with the actor, making sure that the actor internalized the character instead of the accent. Yeah. Uh, would have been interesting. I would have liked to see the 2009 Mortal Engines. But instead, we got this, and it's garbage. But thankfully, speaking of another director who went and did... Uh, big budget movie. Rob, Robert Rodriguez directed Battle Angel Alita that we are covering next week, potentially with guest Ethan Warren. We've said Ethan Warren's going to be a guest on the show a few times. Canonically, I think he ended up in a field, has been leaving us cryptic voicemails, and we haven't heard from him for a year. And then we said maybe on an episode he was doing Home Alone 2 with us that didn't happen, mainly because he was still in that field. So... 
Will he be joining us next week? Will I cut all of this out because plans change? Yeah. Hard to gauge, but Ethan Warren's a lovely, sweet boy that we love very much. And we want to get him then, on a slow boat to China. Yep, yeah. for for Battle Angel Royale, <laughs> Battle Angel Alita. Next week on We Love to Watch. For the rain and the truncheon thing The ice age is coming, the sun's zooming in Meltdown expected, the wheat is going in Engines stop running, but I have no fear Cause London is drowning Thank you so much for listening to We Love to Watch. If you made it to the end, hopefully you liked what you heard today. And if you'd like to hear more, please go to patreon.com slash we love to watch. And if you can chip in a few bucks, that would really help us keep the lights on and keep us moving forward. Uh, it wasn't an implicit threat by Peter. He just didn't know how to say it. But either way, we'll continue to make more. But it would be helpful uh, as we explain to our loved ones where all our money is going, which is all on server space. Uh, if you can't, <laughs> uh, if you don't have a few bucks to chip in we totally understand and you want to support the show we truly absolutely would appreciate a uh, review on itunes i know every podcast says it and it's because it really does help and so every podcast wants that help so please go leave us a positive review so that when people find this show organically they hopefully want to tune in and listen and thanks again for all of your listenership and support and time throughout the years uh, we really do appreciate you uh, with kisses and smooches Peter and Aaron. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs>